0: Welcome to Carson Chatter, a podcast focused on Carson City, the people who shape it, and the real estate that defines it. I'm Cena Lloyd, Carson City Library Director, and I am here with my co-host.
1: Hi, I'm Garrett LaPierre, local real estate agent with Century 21 Jim Wilson Realty. We have another great guest this week for you, along with our weekly segments, Community Connections, and LaPierre's Corner.
0: Stay with us, and we'll be right back.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the Carson Chatter Podcast. I'm Garrett LaPierre, and we're going to hop into LaPierre's corner and talk about why appraisals are important in a real estate transaction. So 90% of all transactions have to have an appraisal as part of the deal. Any buyer that is using a new loan, whether that's a VA loan, a conventional loan, FHA, that bank, no matter what bank it is, is going to require an appraisal. And the reason they do that is they want to make sure that whatever price has been agreed upon by buyer and seller, that the property is worth that much money. The bank doesn't want a loan on a house uh, where you're paying 300000 but it's only worth 250000 The appraisal is the way for the bank to protect their investment. On a cash deal... An appraisal is not required, but a lot of times you'll see the buyer ask for that. Most buyers that have enough cash to buy something outright uh, are smart people. They're savvy people, and they want the appraisal to help protect their investment to make sure that they're not overpaying for the property. What happens if the appraisal comes in lower than the agreed-upon price? So let's take that example I just gave. Both buyer and seller agreed at $300,000 for the purchase price. But the appraisal comes in at $250,000. This is probably an extreme example. You're usually not going to see an appraisal come $50,000 short. Uh, but let's say that happened. What happens is that contract becomes null and void. So the buyer does not have to buy the property for three hundred, dollars And the seller does not have to sell it for $250,000. What typically takes place is a renegotiation where the buyer tells the seller, hey, sell it to me for the appraisal price. And I'll move forward and buy it um, a lot of times the seller says okay because that's kind of the position that they're in um, you know you're usually three weeks maybe four weeks down the line in escrow um, and you know people are moving they're packed up they're ready to go um, so a lot of times even if the appraisal comes short these deals are put together but that doesn't mean every time uh, but it's important to know that the contract becomes null and void the appraiser When they they come out to a property to appraise it, they're looking at a few different things. First and foremost, they want to make sure that that the property, based on comparable sales in the area, uh, and appraisers never will go back more than six months. They really try to stay around three months, but they will go back to as much as six months. Um, They want to make sure, based on those comparable sales, that the property is worth whatever the purchase price is that's been agreed upon. The other thing that the appraiser is looking for, and this is important, especially for first time home buyers, is they're looking at the condition of the property. And if you're a first time home buyer with an FHA loan, you cannot go buy a fixer upper property. The reason being is that the bank wants to make sure that the house is in decent shape. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be in decent shape. An appraiser usually is going to call out chip paint. Holes in the wall. Uh, if there's missing appliances uh, where there should be an appliance, like an oven or a dishwasher, they're going to call that out. Um, if there's uh, obvious water damage um, or bubbling on the ceiling, um, they're going to call those kind of things out. Uh, if there's roof issues, they'll call those things out. Um, so, you know, they're worried mainly about um, stuff that needs to be fixed right away not necessarily cosmetic stuff but stuff that you know like like chip paint on the outside of the house it needs to be addressed right away because if it's not it's only going to get worse and worse and deteriorate quicker because it's being neglected so those are the things to look for as a as a home buyer and it's important that when you have an agent as a, as a buyer that your agent knows this stuff Um, I've seen too many cases where a buyer goes and and looks at houses, they see one that they like, um, and they write an offer on it, get it accepted, they spend the money on appraisal, maybe even spend money on inspections. And to be clear, between the inspections and the appraisal, you're going to be somewhere around $1,000 for all those things together. Um, So the buyer spent that money, and the house... The paint was peeling off the fascia. Uh, There was holes in the walls. There was obvious water damage. These are all things that the agent should have seen and alerted the buyer to up front, but they didn't and then the appraisal comes in bad. No one wants to fix the stuff that needs to be fixed to close the deal and the buyer ends up out their money and without a house. So it's important that when you're working with an agent that your agent understands what a house needs to look like condition wise uh, for the type of financing that you're getting. Uh if, there's a, if, the, if you have any further questions about what type of loan programs are available out there for you, there's a lot of first-time homebuyer programs. Uh, obviously, a VA loan for veterans is the best loan that there is out there. Uh, there's even conventional loan products with as little as 5% down that are out there right now. Uh, so if you have any questions about that um, or any further questions about real estate in general, go to sellingcarsoncity.com. Uh, please stay tuned our interview this week is with Mike Saloga he's the business development manager for Carson City uh, and Cena will be back with us on the next episode uh, she has been a busy gal lots of stuff happening here at the Carson City library um, that's keeping her busy yeah, so we apologize for that um, and um, also check out the Carson City um, Library website. There's a lot of neat things going on at the library uh, this month and next month with the holidays and and in the end-of-the-year end stuff going on. If you haven't been to the library recently, you need to get down here and check it out. Come, come get an updated library card um, and check out all the stuff that they have to offer here at the Carson City Library. We'll be right back. Stay with us. <laughs> Welcome back to the Carson Chatter podcast. We're here today with Mike Saloga, and he is the business development manager for Carson City. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You betcha. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the role of business development manager.
0: Oh boy, this is quite a a story. You know, actually, before I even moved to the area, I've got about 30 plus years of private industry experience, and so I've been in a lot of different Roles from manufacturing and distribution. I've been the the, the the chief operating officer, the the general manager. I've been the, the grunt, kind of doing the uh, the basic work of, of in a variety of different roles. Um, but when I came to uh, the area about six years ago, one of the things that I saw was a, a really a big need was the idea of providing uh, business counseling to local businesses here in the area. And so I uh, I basically uh, hung my hat at the uh, Business Resource Innovation Center on uh, Proctor Street at the time, and uh, basically sat there until they gave me a job, which was kind of fun. Um, So I I basically was there to manage that resource center, and um, that has evolved into the, the title that it is today. Um, as business development manager, and that unfortunately doesn't really
1: tell you a whole lot, does it? I, I, I was going to say, what, what exactly does that mean? What does what that? What does that fancy title um, make for a job description? Description. Yeah,
0: and you know, you know, when you look at business development, other organizations, whether they're public or private, usually it's kind of a sales type of a position, which you in real estate can kind of relate to. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and so, from that standpoint. Um, I have a job of essentially selling the businesses of Carson City and the surrounding area. And that's, so what does that really mean? What do I really do day in and day out that really makes, makes adds value to the community? So um, in another role, I actually play business counselor through the Nevada Small Business Development Center. And a big part of that is to provide free one-on-one business counseling. And that is from anybody who has an idea in the shower to... Everything up to and including and working with an existing business. So from that standpoint, I will sit down with you as long and as often as you want until you really feel that you don't need to be counseled anymore. Just mm-hmm. as if you were going to any other kind of a therapist or anything like that. Which I've had some people have said, "Yeah, boy, people come out of your office, you know, they're all smiles and you know, feeling pretty good about things." And and there's no doubt that there is a certain amount of you know reading people and understanding people. Uh, what are their motivations? What is it that they really want to accomplish? Why do they want to do what they want to do? Right. And so in addition, I also take a, a real big uh, business plan approach to what I do and when I talk to people. So that we'll talk a little bit more about business plans. Um, but you know the other part of what I do is i I'm essentially housed in the city manager's office mm-hmm. in City hall, and uh, the city manager has me working on a number of internal, Projects and uh, right now it's it's some of the things that are probably more progressive than most other municipalities around the country. Uh, we're getting involved in. We're going to first off one of the things that we're going to be doing is um, looking a little closely at a refresh of our the city strategic plan. We just put that in place here about oh probably about a year plus to kind of go back and take <clears throat> make sure that we're paying attention to things as they're changing because it's always, things are always changing, things are always updating, and we're trying to figure out exactly, are these the right goals for the city? Are these the right objectives within each one of those goals? And then are we measuring things the way everybody can understand that when we've achieved the goals, we've actually have a list of measurements that we can actually uh, go back to. And so that's a whole nother thing. If you go to Carson.org, the city's website, and you go to the transparency tab on the main menu, you'll find a a selection there that says performance metrics, and that's where we keep all of the, essentially, the the major performance metrics for all of the different strategic plans in the city. So all of those, from everything from sustainability to safety to economic development, we have a list of of metrics that essentially you can go in and monitor at any point in time. And so we're gonna go back, and we've, we've had these in place since about June this year, and so we're going to be also going back and looking at those and making sure are those the right ones when we first set it up? Do we have some new data that we can look at? Um, are they really things that the community, is it working for them? Is it working for management? Is it working for the board of supervisors to help them with making policy decisions? So we're going to go back and uh, and, and re- do a refresh on all those performance metrics. Um, we're also in the process of making sure that we are have everybody up to speed and trained on all of our lean and Kaizen activities, uh, which is all about continuous process improvement. We've done a, a number of projects around the city. Um, right now we've probably seen savings, if I had to guess and put a number on it, since we started the program, somewhere in the neighborhood of about maybe 750000 Awesome. Which is pretty cool. Um, this is one of those things that uh, it's very much of a bottom-up, approach to solving problems and to always making sure that there's a way to figure out how to do it better. So so we're going to go back and make sure we've got some people in each of the departments, um, again, that uh, are our point of contact for any of those kinds of activities. Uh, there's been some changes in some various departments in the city, so we're going to go back and do some retraining and, and keep the momentum going with that activity. Uh, so that's really kind of a you know, in a nutshell, some of the things that I'm getting involved with, much less representing the city on a number of, you know, boards and committees um, all over the place. And I, I could, you know, we could go on and on about some of that stuff. But some of the things that, you know, I like to, you know, make sure that I'm attending uh, various chamber events. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always important for us to, to be in the, in the eyes of the business community there. Um, I'm on the banking and finance committee with the Northern Nevada Development Authority. our local regional development authority. Uh, I'm also on the board representing the city on the Western Nevada Development Districts Board, WNDD. They are essentially the uh, EDA conduit for federal monies from the EDA uh, into this area. And I'm also on the loan committee for their revolving loan fund for that uh, situation. So they're doing some small microloans out of that organization. So that's, you know, boy, I could keep going. Where else can I go? I'm on the board of directors for the uh, Carson's, the Capital City Arts Initiative. I'm the treasurer on that board. Uh, And I just recently, about a year ago, joined the advisory board for the Community Foundation of Western Nevada. Awesome. So part of that, they've got me on the investment committee Mm -hmm. for that. So that committee is responsible, has a fiduciary responsibility for managing about $80 million worth of. of uh, of business for them. It's basically uh, folks that have made donations to that organization. And I'm also now just recently been added to the Community Leadership Committee. Awesome. And so this is really one where we're going to start getting some more uh, visibility in Carson City and in more south of the Truckee Meadows. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of those ways that we're going to see that is in a couple of weeks, we're going to start having conversations about how to create a our own community foundation here in Carson City. Okay. And so we're going to, which is really going to be great. The idea here is, is that people will be able to leave a legacy to the community that is benefiting only the community. Right. Basically unrestricted funds that, you know, people would, then somebody would grant, essentially the organization would grant out those funds to uh, to the community directly. Very, so Which was very cool. And, you know, I just got through, last night it was just at, um, the Sierra Nevada Forums um, activity that was over at uh, the Brewery Arts Center last night talking to, uh, they basically had a presentation of about half a dozen different uh, nonprofits focused on uh, social services here in the area, and uh, those are folks that would benefit directly from this kind of activity Correct. with the new community foundation. So there's just a lot of neat things I'm working on right now.
1: And there's a lot of neat things going on in Carson as well, too. So exciting times, for sure. They are. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about, about business plans, and yeah, I, I think it probably goes without saying that you know it's important for a business owner, no matter what business that you're in, uh, to actually have a written plan, a plan that is written down, that you can see, that you go over you know, every 30 days, yeah. um, preferably, maybe even a little bit more than that. Um, talk to us a little bit about, about business plans and why they're so important as a business owner.
0: You know, business plans are one of those things that, that people sometimes get a little afraid of, mm-hmm. you know, because... They think about, oh, I got to have it ready for a shark tank, you know, or I, I have to be able to have it. It's going to be a big, thick book. And usually the things that I start talking to people about is really, who is this for? Is this just for you, for your own ideas and a place to put it all down on a piece of paper?
1: Right.
0: Um, or are you going to go out and borrow money? Are you going to go out and try and find equity investors? Because each one of those audiences are all very different. If it's just you... It could definitely be a back-of-the-envelope type of a plan. There are plenty of different things. We like to use the uh, business model canvas, which is a one-pager that allows people to be able to hit the high points of of a business plan. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a great big novel. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to go out and borrow money, if you're going to go out and raise money from an investor, yes, you need to be a little bit more um, thoughtful You have to be a little bit more descriptive in all of the different things that you have in your concept or your idea. So what we really usually do is break it down into three major areas, marketing, operations, and finance. And so we spend most of our time talking about marketing because marketing, in my humble opinion, drives the rest of the plan. It drives whether you need a brick and mortar location. It drives whether you're gonna do an online business it drives whether you're going to bootstrap this business and fund it yourself or whether you're going to need outside sources of funding. So from that standpoint, um, you know, I have a tendency to be a little bit more old school when it comes to that kind of stuff. The old marketing 101 on one stuff from college, which, you know, we talk about the marketing mix. What's the product or service? What are you going to charge for that? You know, where are you going to make that connection to your customer and how are you going to promote it? Mm-hmm. And, With that, we're always thinking about who your customer is and we're always thinking about who the competition is because those things all, when you bring them and all tie it together and start to strategize it, that's really what starts to to make it real. Mm -hmm. And for for me, ideas are great. Unfortunately, they're a dime a dozen. It's the difference between success and failure is the one that um, is really based on whether you can actually execute because... I mean, if, if you look at somebody who's a, you know, a real famous entrepreneur, somebody like an Elon Musk, I mean, how many people have had electric car ideas right. in the past? There's been plenty of them, but he's been one who's been able to execute it amazingly and attracted so much attention from around the world more than anybody else. It's his ability to execute that really separates him from everybody else. Right. So that's why... When he starts talking about Mars and all these other things, now all of a sudden he's got this credibility that, wow, he could actually make it happen. So, so what we're looking for is, you know, is, is for folks that are really in that process of taking that idea and are willing to understand the risks that are involved. Because if if there were no risks, then guess what? Everybody be doing it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so so what we want to do when I sit down with folks is I really sit there and and play um, ombudsman or arbiter to a certain extent. and really my job is to really make sure that you've looked at every possibility, all the different situations that could potentially come across the way this business could go, not just today, but two, three, four, five, and ten years later down the road, because a lot of times you'll see business ideas that are based on a single product and unfortunately in today's environment you've got to be more nimble than to be just a one product or a one trick pony in that sense so so we want to make sure that it's going to be sustainable Um, do you have systems that you're going to be putting in place are you going to train your employees are you going to have employees you know so another really big question when we start talking about employees is the issue of is this going to be a lifestyle business or is this going to be something that's going to be scalable? Now, there's nothing wrong with choosing one or the other, and I always like to use coffee as an example, as I see you staring at your cup of coffee there, Garrett. And you know, Starbucks is one of those things that it's 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 a it's 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 a scalable business. Right. There are a number of independent coffee shops in Carson City and the surrounding area. We love them, and that at that point though, the business owner is making a conscious decision though to not. Try and scale it up, okay? They don't want to be the Starbucks of, of the coffee business. There already is one. Or there's Pete's. Or there's other people that are trying to compete in that space. They have making a choice to say, I want to be an independent business. Right. Nothing wrong with that. You know, the bottom line is I'd rather have somebody working for themselves in their own business than on unemployment. Because that's exactly what we're talking about here. And if we start to add up all of those lifestyle businesses that are out there, there's a significant number of people that are working in those businesses in this community and contributing to the community. Right. And nothing to say that, again, that the scalable ones are wrong, but you have to have different strategy, different focus, <clears throat> different ideas as far as how you want to grow that business from – because they all start out as one. Uh-huh. I mean, I've been to Starbucks number one in, in, in Seattle. And it's it all starts with one, and you have to make that decision as a business owner. Where do you want to go with this? And so that's where I begin
1: to start to help you with the idea of what's possible. Gotcha, gotcha. So on that point, let's take let's drill down a little bit further and take one step back. So if um, the coffee house is a good example, so if I'm going okay, I'm, I'm thinking about opening up a, a, a coffee shop. Don't you think that doing some market research um, and seeing, you know, is there a market out there available for another coffee shop? Can the market bear another coffee shop? Um, Or what's the niche within those coffee houses that isn't being hit, isn't being served right now? Um, Do you think that's important to do a lot of market research ahead of time? And if so, where can you do that? Is there a place here in town to be able to do that?
0: Right. You know, market research is one of those things that – is probably one of there's probably two big reasons why businesses fail. One is that they're undercapitalized. Right. You know they don't understand how much money it takes to not only get it started up, but those first few three, six, twelve months when they may be running negative cash flows that they got to make sure they have enough. You know padding in their plan right. to make sure that they've got enough money. The other one is that they don't do enough research. They don't have a really good understanding of who their customer is and who their competition is, and so. Um, I kind of lean back on some of my previous experience I was talking about earlier. One of the things that I have done in my past is I was in forecasting for Levi Strauss. Okay. So yeah, Levi's big company, a lot of zeros at the end of all their numbers. Yep. But the bottom line is, is that the concepts are all still the same. And And when you're looking at forecasting, you really have to look at a whole variety of things to really come up with a number. And for a startup... It's really difficult for existing businesses. It's not so bad because they've they've got some track record. They have some history behind them, and they can start to understand when they add a product line, you know, what's their potential business that's going to actually they're going to get from that. Correct. It's the startup that really has the hardest time, and it is the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. And so the the part of it is we start to look at things like demographics. We want to know things about psychographics. Psychographics, for anybody that doesn't know, is really all about lifestyle and life stage. So this is, this is the, the, you know, in the, in the terms that were used probably 8, 10 years ago is the soccer mom, the NASCAR dad. You know, they like to, um, they play a certain way, they get their information a certain way. They, um, how do they occupy their time? Do they read the newspaper? Do they go on vacations? Do they do staycations? You know, what's the, what's the, the lifestyle and where are they at? Are they getting close to retirement? Are they not? Those kinds of things. So we look at all of those kinds of things. How, what's the behavior pattern of your customer? Because... Based on that, it's gonna depend on how you price it, how you promote it, whether it's gonna be using social media, or you're gonna use newspaper ads. There's a lot of big differences depending on who your customer is for your particular business. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so so from that standpoint, the big question becomes then where do you go? Right? And and there's some there, you know, we're we're sitting here, you know, for everybody that's listening, we're sitting here in, in, in the makerspace at the Carson City Library, and the library is a fantastic resource for um, a lot of this information. Most of it, practically all of it, really is is all online. And so you can access it from from home with your library card. So if you don't have a library card out there, you better get one. Okay, (laughs) so so the idea here is is there's a couple of different databases that I usually like to to tell people about. One is, is when we talk about competition there's a database that has a listing essentially of all the businesses in the united states and that's called reference usa the neat thing about that is is that it's not just about you know if if you got something you want to talk about coffee shops in carson city you can do that you can filter through the data so that you pull up only just that data associated with the region that you're looking at or the business type that you're looking at number of employees all kinds of those things so there's all kinds of filtering techniques that you can use in getting to that data Um, they also, one thing that's interesting about Reference USA is they actually physically call to verify the data with all those businesses. Oh, wow. Which is, I mean, you sit there and you think, wait, why can't you do it all online? Well, no, they want to physically talk to somebody. They want to make sure that they verify all the information that's there. So you can see verified records and you can see unverified records. So there's a couple of different ways to look at that. So, But Reference USA is a fantastic resource for being able to kind of get a sense of how many people are playing in the sandbox that you want to play in. Um, The other one that's really cool, and it's the the flip side of the competition thing, is is when we ask the question, who's your customer, is um, business decision. This database, again, accessible through the Carson City Library's website, looks at consumer-level data. Again, it's also consumer-level data throughout the United States. So I can get some of that psychographic information that I was talking about as well as scads of demographic information. So one of the things that people, you know, you hear, I hear two things that that people talk about when they come in with ideas all the time. One is, is there's nothing for kids to do in Carson City. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who's been here all of your life, you can
1: kind of attest that certain things kind of come and go. They definitely do. You know, we were able to to mini golf and have you know bumper boats and batting cages <laughs> and things like that when I was a little bit younger. And um, and then you know the market wasn't there for that obviously. And then it went away. And um, you know I do think that there's a a market for something similar to that that is very family oriented. Right.
0: And so the other and the other big category of people that everybody talks about a lot is um, that we have a very large senior population. Well, the reality is, is when you look at the demographics, is, is that we do have a little larger than normal senior population than other places around the country, but it's not that large, big, giant group that everybody thinks that it is. And so, one thing to be to understand is, is that this 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 younger group, you know, I'll, I'll call them say from, you know, 13 to 30, you know, really is is becoming a much much bigger block for. Um, for people to sell into. When I was working at Levi's, one of the things that we talked about brand-wise was that that brand identification where you were really trying to sell to was really that 13 to like 25 to 28-year-old. Because once we all got past that age, we're pretty much set in what we were wearing. And so from, from that standpoint, you have to really take a closer look at those kinds of demographic types of data and business decision is that resource that you can use to actually find out not just Carson City, but you can start to look at at drive time distances. Actually, I think it's a it's it's a, a like um, uh, mileage distances away from, a, say, a certain point. I usually use City Hall as a point because when you talk about five miles away, before you know it, you pretty much got almost everybody in Carson City. Right. And the idea here is, is that most businesses, like a lot of the retail and restaurant, though, you have to include a much bigger Radius from that standpoint, so you start to include people from Douglas, people from you know, Reno-Sparks, people from the lake, and all of a sudden, all those numbers have a tendency to start to change. Mm-hmm. What this all goes to, and the, one of the things that I talk to people a lot about, is the concept of critical mass. Is there enough business, and you just mentioned it with the bumper boats and the other stuff that you had when you were, uh, when you were younger. And the the reality is, is are there enough potential customers for your business? And we have to answer that question. If we don't or don't feel comfortable with it, um, with with what your cost structure is, then we've got a a real gap there and we've got to figure out how we're going to either bridge it or we turn around and sit there and say, well, you know, it's a great idea. Maybe it's a little ahead of its time. You know, and there's people that I've known in my life that have been idea machines, and a lot of times they are three to five years ahead of their time mm-hmm. and so we have to be able to understand that there's always a always options there's always a way and we always have to be looking at five reasons why it will work before we start shooting it down right. and so that's kind of a general philosophy from that standpoint and it, it kind of goes back to my mantra and then in, 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 in the end which is i'm here to help right so if i can't find if i don't have the resources or i don't have the the direct knowledge the best part about it is I've got resources all over the state through the Nevada SBDC network. I've got um, connections through a variety of other organizations that uh, provide some real specialized um, knowledge and training and classes and that type of thing. And I can be a really good central point of contact to get to talk to somebody to talk to first so that we can potentially point them to other folks. A really good example. My buddy, Steve Yates, uh, with the, um, the procurement outreach program through the Governor's Office of Economic Development, mm-hmm. he does a fantastic job on uh, helping people with exporting and with getting um, themselves signed up to be certified through the um, SBA to essentially qualify them to be either a women-owned or minority-owned or veteran-owned business so they can qualify for certain government contracts. As much as I would like to say that I know stuff about that, Steve's the expert, and right. so just like that, I would automatically refer them up to Steve because I know he will take care of them. Gotcha. So this it's 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 such a great you know network of folks that are in the area that uh, we all you know work with each other and rely on each other to you know because we all have different expertise in different businesses and different
1: backgrounds, and so we're, we'll find something for somebody exactly in the end. One and, and I know you you had a you had a big hand in trying to bridge this gap the other way. So what I mean by that is you have business owners um, who are are contemplating. You know I want to open up a business. I want to do this, um, but I don't know if there's a marketplace for it. Uh, and. The city, and I believe it was through your office, sent out a survey um, to the residents of Carson City um, to ask them questions about things they'd like to see. It was focused on the downtown area, mm-hmm. um, but you know this that's a good example of going to the consumers and saying, tell me what you want, and then as a city, we'll help bring those businesses in. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Well, you know, that particular survey, yeah, um, yeah I was the one who put it out, and um, that Surveys, is an example of primary research. Mm-hmm. Most of the things that we're talking about through the library, that's really secondary research. Somebody else has done the, the legwork in getting that data. This is something that we wanted to put out there so that we could get feedback directly from the community about the, the new types of restaurant and retail that they would like to see in the downtown. And we got, about, we got over 450 responses, which was pretty amazing. That's I was good. really happy with that. Um, it turned out to be very statistically significant. And so we've, we've got a really good sense of, of what people are looking for. So if anybody is looking to start a new retail business or a new restaurant in the downtown, you have some direct information from folks as to what actually will work. And that the results of that survey are on the city's website. Um, you go to Carson.org slash survey, and you can find out um, things like uh, that people really, their number one choice of a restaurant was dessert. So that was... That would be something like an ice cream store, a bakery, um, those types of things. Uh, deli was their number two choice. One of the things that you saw in the comments across the board was things that people wanted places to go that were healthy, that were affordable, and were family-oriented. And so that was something that was the, a, a common theme across everything. Uh, from a retail perspective, what we were looking at with, uh, with retail was really to get a sense also of of what were they looking for. Specialty food was also uh, part of it. So it's kind of a little bit of that same flip side. They're looking for things like uh, butchers and and bakers and those types of things where they can get things that you can't really get at a regular grocery store. And so gift stores, bookstores, those other things also showed up pretty highly in the survey. So from that standpoint, we really are... Excited about that because what it does is it gives us something that I can then turn around or anybody in the community can go out and look at that and they can sit there and actually help with recruiting for the kinds of businesses that they want to see now that the downtown uh, Carson Street project is finished. Correct. So I'm very excited about that. The follow-up survey to that, I'm getting ready to start working on that right now, is one on residential in the downtown because... One of the things that we want to do is provide some of that primary research to developers so they can sit there and say, well, what do I build? Do I build apartments? Do I build condos? Do I build townhouses? What is it that people are looking for? And so we're going to put that same kind of a, of a survey out probably in the next couple of weeks, probably after Thanksgiving. Yes. And uh, from that standpoint, so we can really start to begin to shape what um, downtown is really going to look like five, ten. 20 years into the future. Exactly.
1: I, and, and I love the fact you guys are doing that. You're actually going out instead of, you know, a, a group of you guys getting together and going, I, this is what I think people want. You're asking people what they want and, and bringing it to the people that can make it happen. And, and that's the name of the game right there.
0: Well, and we've already started doing some of that work. Uh, I've actually been up uh, talking to restaurant, uh, one particular restaurant owner up in Midtown in Reno mm-hmm because the strategy people really wanted to see was the idea that there are small independent businesses in the downtown and not necessarily national chains. So from that standpoint, uh, one of the ideas to execute a strategy is to go up and talk to businesses in the Reno-Sparks area that are single location operations and to say, hey, if you're thinking about expanding your business, growing your business, why not think of another location in downtown Carson? So from that standpoint, that's, that we're, that, that's something I hope that other people
1: will embrace as well as, you know, being a big part of my job too. Right. Oh, yeah. one, one question I want to ask you before we get to the final question is, what do you think is the biggest challenge for Carson City the, over the next two, three years? What, what, has you, uh, what keeps you up at night? What has you a little worried? What, what do we have to get through?
0: Well, you know, since the, since the election and, the, and the, uh, the fuel index tax didn't pass, um, I got to say that, from a from a city's perspective, that 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 street infrastructure is probably our biggest challenge. Um, you know, the uh, folks are I'm are I'm you know at a pay grade higher than me are getting together and um, you know trying to figure out how they can solve that problem. And that's something that I know is important to the community. And I I, I see that there's going to be you know hopefully some options you know going forward. But you know we'll have to
1: wait and see how that all shakes out. Right. Hey, well, that money's going to come from somewhere, whether it came from the gas tax or not. You know, unfortunately, um, you know we may not like those taxes, but someone's going to pay the piper. Those bills have to be paid. The roads have to be maintained. So. Well, and the
0: roads aren't getting
1: any better. They're always going to keep Correct. getting worse, as Patrick would say. Correct. Oh. Um, and then the last question, and, and the question that we ask every guest on the show is, if there was no limits, what would be your big audacious goal for Carson City?
0: My big, hairy, audacious goal, exactly. as they say. Um, it is, is, is to find a uh, a great community oriented buyer for the Ormsby House, love it, and Jack's Bar. You know, I mean, really, from that standpoint, I I think that that the, the the community has been aching for this for a long time, and it would transform our city to have that particular building and the bar next door to be vibrant to be a, a, a place where people can get together, a place that's going to be attractive to visitors, there is no doubt that that would transform the way even, I think the way residents in this city would see themselves,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as well as how the community would be shown to uh, folks on the outside. I mean, we've seen what happened when Epic Rides came to town, how the image of this community outside of this community had changed, but I think that the, the sale of the Ormsby House would be something that would really reflect in everyone's heart and soul here in this community
1: um, in a positive way. Agreed. I, I think that would mark kind of a start of a new time, a new era of, of a lot of positivity, of, of, of a lot of progress going on. Um, you know, the thing that, that I always go back to with that building is, you know, forget the forget the casino, forget the gambling aspect of it. Um, it would be nice to have hotel rooms downtown for sure. Uh, but. I just picture a couple good restaurants in there, um, you know, maybe maybe a a lively bar or Mm -hmm. two that's Mm -hmm. in there. Sure, sure. And I just imagine the foot traffic and and the life that would come out of that building from just having some good places to eat. Mm
0: -hmm. And there's and there's all. I mean, folks have lots of different ideas for that building too. I've heard you know, make it into apartments, make it into condos. I mean, there's some of your residential potential, some some inventory Mm -hmm. for downtown. So, you know, the bottom line is it's got to be something that works. For whoever's going to buy it, correct. I mean, that's really, I mean, that's really the the, the bottom line. Unfortunately, at this point, um, but there's lots of different ideas that can be, you know, tossed around. You can put pencil to paper and kind of see if they're going to work. Mm-hmm. And I, I I want us to be open to those possibilities. Gotcha.
1: Um, if any of our listeners want to want to get a hold of you, Michael, and, and pick your brain or maybe um, you know, work on a business plan together, how can they get a hold of you?
0: They can get a hold of me two ways. One is, uh, is email. It's probably the best way. And that is M as in Michael and my last name, which is spelled S-A-L-O-G-G-A at Carson.org. That's m at Carson.org. And my phone number is 775-283-7122.
1: Perfect. I appreciate that. And I encourage you, if you're a business owner current or thinking about becoming a business owner, um, reach out to Michael. Pick his brain. Um, He's there for you guys and a very smart guy. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and sharing your wisdom with us. And we'll have you on again. Great. Thanks, Garrett. Love to be here.
0: Thanks again for listening to this episode of Carson Chatter. You can subscribe via SoundCloud or iTunes by searching Carson Chatter Podcast. When you do, please leave a review as it makes it easier to find us.
1: And please engage with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by simply searching Carson Chatter Podcast. You can also email us at carsonchatterpodcast at gmail.com.
0: See you again soon, and don't forget to tell a friend about this podcast.